Good morning. Thank you, everybody. If you could take your seats, please. We are... Thank you. We are starting church very differently this morning because it is Remembrance Sunday. Uh, so we want to take some time at the beginning of our service to reflect and to remember. Let's just begin by praying. Father God, as we come before you on this day, Father, we take time at the beginning of our worship service to reflect and remember for those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice in giving their lives to protect us from evil. And Father, as we come today, we remember those not only who have given their lives, but those who served as well, who stood in the way of oppression, who went to fight the wars that needed to be fought. And Father, as we come, it's so important for us because it's so easy to forget for us to come to remember and reflect for those that we know personally, for those that we know that have paid that price, we come at the beginning of this service and take some time just to remember in Jesus' name. Amen. We gather here this morning at the start of this worship service to remember those who have given their lives in the ultimate sacrifice to protect us and to protect our nation from the tyranny of evil and terrorism. We thank God this morning that all it takes for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. There are many we remember who have given their lives in the world wars to those who still stand on the front line today to protect us from terrorism and the evil acts that some people would want to commit. So this morning, as with so many churches, and other acts of remembrance, we come to remember the fallen. We pay our respects to those who have paid the highest price. And we take some time this morning not to forget. Psalm 46 says this. God is our refuge and strength. An ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore we will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall, he lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear. He burns shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let us stand to sing the hymn this morning, O God, our help in ages past. And after the hymn, let us remain standing. Thank you.
to read and then the last post is going to be played and then we're going to take uh, two minutes to be silent to remember they shall grow not old as we that are left grow old age shall not weary them nor the years condemn at the going down of the sun and in the morning we will remember them
Let us pray. Gracious God, as we come today, we remember both the past and the present conflicts. Father, we pray for peace on a day like this. For we know, as we remember, Father, the people have paid with the ultimate sacrifice of the giving of their lives. So, Father, we pray today for all that would happen around the world. We pray and ask, Father, your Son came as the peacemaker. Uh, your word tells us that blessed are the peacemakers. And for those conflicts and for those situations around the world today, we pray for peace and ask for peace. So, Father, as we come today, Father, as a people that we know, for we know even in, within this church, Father, it touches different nationalities, it touches different places, it touches people that we know. So, Father, as we come today, we say thank you. Father, help us to remember. It is so easy to forget. And, Father, help us to keep praying for peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let us remain standing as we sing the national anthem.
for what you did on that cross for me, for each one of us in that place, for the you give it all. We just thank you for that. We thank you for who you are in this place. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. You can take your seats. And thank you, team, for leading us in worship. And Pastor Matt for leading us in remembrance. Um, just as we come around the table, I want to share a verse with you. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's two verses, actually verses 14 and 15. It says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Church, Christ's love compels us. When the writer of this is, is writing here, he's, he's saying that Christ's love compels his ministry, his, his love for others, his mission for Christ's church. Christ's love compels us to, to be here, to be a part of this, to share with others that which we have. His love compels us to love and his love compels us to adore him for what he did. It tells us that one died for all. One died for all. You see, we've just sang there this morning that you alone deserve the glory. The glory can be given to nobody else because Christ died. Christ is the one who died and the only one who could die so that we could be reconciled, we could be redeemed, we could be set free, that our sin would grip us, would hold us no more. The verse says that we should not live for ourselves, that we should live to serve God, that we should live to serve others, that we should live to tell people that Christ died for them. As again, this verse says in conclusion, who died, him who died for them. But church, it also says, and was raised again. Isn't that our hope today, church? That Christ died on the cross for our sin. And in that he fulfilled everything that was said about him. In that he gave the ultimate sacrifice. He paid the price that nobody else could pay. He was the one who on the cross would die and pay the penalty for our sin. But on the cross he died. In the tomb he was buried. In church, he rose again. And as he did that, he confirmed, he fulfilled the prophecies. He fulfilled what was said about him. And, and in, that, in that, we can we can hope, we can have hope in knowing that Christ is who he said he was and knowing when he said that one day he re would return again, church, he will return again. And that is the hope in which we hold on to. If you know Jesus as your personal saviour today, 
If you've made that decision to accept Christ into your life or in simpler terms, if you are a Christian, then we invite you to take of these emblems with us this morning. If that's not you, if that doesn't apply to you, then simply just leave them beneath your chair. But I'm going to read some verses here and then I'm going to pray and we're going to peel back the first layer. There's a thin layer of plastic on the top there. You'll peel that back and that will reveal the wafer which represents the bread. And then again I'm going to read some verses. I'm going to pray. I'm going to peel back that second layer of foil and that's going to reveal the juice which represents the cup that we drink from. So beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In verse 23 it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Allow me to pray, church. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son. Thank you for his body broken for us. Thank you for this wafer today this little piece of bread God that signifies so much thank you for this act of remembrance that your son Jesus commissioned while he was on earth thank you Lord for allowing us to do as he did and God thank you for your son's body broken for us it's in his holy and precious name that we give thanks amen church feel free to take of that first layer today the the wafer It goes on to say there, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Allow me to pray again, church. Lord, we thank you for your son's blood willingly shed for us. We thank you for all that was done for us on the cross. We thank you that he gave of himself the only one who could. And God, I thank you that the price for my sin was paid. God, I thank you that our sin was dealt with there on the cross. And I thank you for this cup today that represents your son's blood shed for us. It's in his holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. Church, please feel free to take of that second emblem today. Heavenly Father, we are compelled. How could we not give you praise? God, we thank you for all that has been done for us, those who are unworthy but made worthy by your Son. Lord, thank you for your Son given for us on the cross. Thank you for all of this as we gather today and we remember God and we thank you for the table. Thank you that we are invited to partake of it and Lord, thank you for your mercy shown to us, your grace displayed for us. Thank you for all that we have and thank you for all that you are. 
God, we give you praise. We honor you. We glorify you. It's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, I just have a few announcements that we'd like to make uh, before Pastor Matt comes to bring the word. The first of those is tonight's service. We hold two services. Every Sunday we have our 10.30 a.m. service in the morning and we have a 6.30 p.m. service in the evening. So tonight our doors open at 6 p.m. As you come in, you can get tea and coffee and there'll be some biscuits there as well. And tonight's service is... Um, it's, it's special because we, we have Lisa Osborne sharing with us tonight. She's going to be sharing uh, her story of what God did in her life through her journey with cancer. And we really encourage not only you to be here, but bring somebody with you. Uh, bring, bring a friend, bring, bring a family member, um, bring a few. We'd love to see this place really filled with people who need to hear um, God's work, uh, what the work that God has done in Lisa his life so we encourage you come along to that tonight on tuesday night we have our pastor bible study pastor matt is going to lead us in a study and that begins at 7 30 p.m and we're looking at matthew 19 jesus's teaching on divorce and it's, it's i mean this is such an interesting topic and obviously really applicable for today and we really encourage you to come along and hear what christ had to say about divorce and, and as pastor matt teaches us that we encourage you to come along and take part in that tuesday night 7 30 p.m after this morning's service and after our evening service as well we have um a prayer team we have people who would love to pray with you if you have anything that you need prayer for, if you have something that you would like um, you prayer for, then as you go out there, you'll see people with little lanyards on that just simply say prayer team. And they, they're there um, not just because we've asked them to be, they volunteer because they really have a heart to pray for people. They, they actually really want to pray for you. And so we encourage you to make use of that today. Church, I'm going to invite Pastor Matt up now who's going to come and bring the word. Thank you, church. Thank you. The team for leading us and Pastor Reeves for leading us at the, the table. Just to clear up about Tuesday night, because somebody made the comment about doing a Bible study on divorce. A wife thought it was hard to get rid of your husband. It's not. Just to clear that up, okay? It's not. I said, they shall remain nameless to protect the identity of the husband, okay? Well, then, okay. So come along on Tuesday evening for the Bible study and tonight we, we are continuing on with our series in Matthew um, and just before we begin just want, want to say this because I'm, I'm so encouraged about what's going on in church at the moment and if you were here last week at the prayer meeting I mean on Tuesday night uh, there were 59 people in here praying which I think is fantastic on Wednesday night though we only had 11 come to the night of prayer the presence of God, I think, and those people that were there probably agree with me, was just incredible, just as we prayed. And the three hours went like that. God is doing something in our church. But when that happens, sometimes things happen to try and upset that and knock us off the path of what we're supposed to be doing. And so we as the church, as the believers, we keep our determination, but our eyes fixed on God. 
because there's so much good things going on in church every week there is something great happening every day just to see what God is doing and we have some amazing stuff in the pipeline uh, coming down the road these next few months so we're really looking forward to seeing what God is going to do it's fantastic even on Sundays as we look out we see uh, so many people here on Sundays and see the kids uh, room full there and stuff so we just come to that just before we uh, we come to God's word because we're continuing on with the passage that we looked at last week we're working our way through the gospel of Matthew uh, we don't know how long it's going to take us we've just started it we're breaking it down we just believe it has something to say to us uh, every week last uh, week we looked at uh, just this passage in uh, Matthew 5 and there was only the the three verses um, and so we broke it into two uh, we looked at the first part of it and we said we would complete the next bit about righteousness uh, the next time I came to speak because Jesus here was speaking on the Sermon on the Mount and he opens it up and Pastor Reese has been looking at the Beatitudes across three sermons and then uh, Rebecca Hughes is going to be looking next Sunday night at the next bit, the salt and light, how we make a difference with what we believe. But I come to this next bit as we jump ahead because Jesus is talking to them about being the fulfillment of the law, not to abolish the law but the fulfillment of the law because he's challenging the Pharisees that we, we spoke about last week and the teachers of the law because they were so rigid in everything they did on the outward appearance that it wasn't doing anything for their heart it wasn't doing anything for them inside of them and Jesus was coming to speak to the people to say these are the people that you're to look at he says I, I'm here and this is the beginning of that journey to the cross here with, with Jesus and Jesus says these words and he says do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets I've not come to abolish them but to fulfill them for truly I tell you until heaven and earth disappear not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will be by any means disappeared from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So the three points that, that were made, I've just shared the first one, that Jesus came to fulfill the law, not abolish it. Uh, the law, uh, as we know it, and we said the law and the prophets is a description of those Old Testament uh, books that are beginning there, the books that Moses wrote. And what happened, the Pharisees had continually added on rule after rule after rule after rule to it made it impossible to keep but the Lord described a life of perfect sinless righteousness which no Israelite had been able to fulfill until Jesus arrived he was the first and last to accomplish this with perfect obedience and then the third point which I've just made simply the Pharisees had added extra laws onto the laws already given when we preached on the sermon come unto me all you are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest I explained at that point that that wasn't the sin necessarily that people were carrying in their lives it was the burdens that the Pharisees and the religious teachers had placed on the people for it made it impossible for them to keep all the rules to keep all the laws 
both of the written word, which was the commandments that were written down, and what you would refer to as the spoken word, which is all the extra rules that had been added on to protect uh, the people. And I shared the illustration last week about cooking a young goat in its mother's milk and, and all of that. Shared though that point to say, you know, that this is how absurd and obscure it had become in following the law. And so Jesus, in verse 20, he demands a standard for which would have sounded impossible to his listeners. It says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You've got to remember in the context of the time, these Pharisees, the teachers of the law, these were the people that everybody was looking to for their religious standard. That actually these were the role models, these were the examples, these were the people sitting on the sermon, sitting on the mount, listening to Jesus. And they were copying, they were trying to attain the level that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were, were living to. They were professional experts on the scriptures. Pharisees were famous for their extremely careful keeping of the law of Moses. And as I said, they were so careful, they kept adding rules and regulations on top of the law, so nobody ever came close to breaking it. They were extraordinarily strict with their students and with the common synagogue goers about what it took to follow the law in order to be righteous. That actually, if they kept enough of the law, that would get them to heaven because they were righteous enough. The people actually had a saying back in that time that said, if only two men could ever enter heaven, one would be a scribe and the other was a Pharisee. That's the highest esteem that they were sort of held in by the people. Almost an example that nobody could live to. Matthew, though, had already shown that the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees is, is somewhat false. John the Baptist in chapter 3 had called them out as a brood of vipers in need of a repentance that will actually bear fruit. You see, and so we have to look, when Jesus mentions the righteousness of the Pharisees, we have to look, well, what was the problem with their righteousness? Well, what was the problem with, with them? And so there were four quick things. The first one is this. They taught the truth, but did not practice it. Do as I say, but not as I do. Now, you've probably heard somebody, people say that at times. Don't, do, do as I say, not as I do. That was the problem with the Pharisees. They were quite happy to tell everybody else what to do, but they weren't happy to live that way. They didn't want to live that way. So that was the first problem with their righteousness. The second one is they wanted to do things that impressed others. And Jesus will address this later on. And he'll talk about when you come to pray, you take yourself off into the prayer room and you pray. Don't be like the hypocrites who stand on the street corners. Oh God, that you would answer my prayer. You may know some people like that today. And I want everybody to know the big words. Justified, sanctified, washed in the blood of the Lamb. And nothing wrong with that, but using the big words to impress the people around. But that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to do stuff that people would look at them and say, aren't they holy? Haven't they got it all together? Aren't they righteous in the way that they live? The third problem was this. They neglected parts of God's law. They majored in the minors and minored in the majors. And I used the example last week and... Those of us who are sort of my generation explained, remember the pick and mix in Woolworths? 
Yes, you remember, don't you, where you could come in and take what you wanted, but the stuff you didn't want, you sort of left there. And the danger is our, our, our doctrine, our theology has become like that, but they were already doing it. They were neglecting parts of God's law by majoring in the minors, the small things, but ignoring the major things that matter. Now, ultimately, what God, I think, is interested in, and Matthew talks about this through his book, he says he wants people to love God, lo love him, and love others. We complicate it sometimes. He says, actually, our love of others is demonstrated by our love for God, and the other way around, both work together. But here the Pharisees had got this problem that they had neglected parts of God's law. They'd picked the bits that they like. They'd picked the bits that sort of applied to them, but weren't too concerned that if other people couldn't keep it. And that was the problem, the neglect of the law. And the, and the fourth thing is this, they were lovers of money and materialism. Now, not all of them. There were some good ones. There were some, Jesus met some of the good ones, but the majority, they were lovers of money materialism power because of that's what the position bought them so people would see them and think that actually these were the people that we were trying that they were trying to live by these were the people that they were trying to attain their behavior and thought to and jesus says this he says unless your righteousness exceeds these well it's possible isn't it they're not able to do that you know, uh, because one, their righteousness was wrong based on the wrong thing. But two, Jesus had come as well because this passage sets up an important point about the nature of sin and heaven's standard of righteousness. That standard is simply beyond the human ability. We can try to be good. You ever met somebody and they're just, they're just good? They just always do sort of the right thing. They're nice people. No matter how much you try and wind them up, they don't lose their temper. You know, you know somebody, don't you? Just they're good people. I know you're thinking of me. I appreciate that, but <laughs> it's it, it, uh, get me on a football pitch or drive, and then and <laughs> and then. But, but they're just good people. But even that goodness is still not enough. But it's the way the world thinks, isn't it? You know, it's the way the world thinks, oh, if we balance out the good versus the bad, well, they'll get to heaven, they'll have exceeded that righteousness. And it's not, that's not the case. And Jesus comes and simply declares there is a standard of righteousness that's beyond human ability. It's a cornerstone of his teaching that man cannot earn salvation, since we can never hope to be good enough. So we can never be made righteous by keeping the law when we see what keeping the law really means. We are thankful that Jesus offers us a different kind of righteousness. And that was the clash with the Pharisees who simply wanted to say to everybody, you work for it, you earn it, you do what we tell you to do. And Jesus comes and blows that out of the water and says, there's no working for this, there's no earning it. He says, the righteousness you receive from me is one that at this point I'm going to be paid for. For us today, it is paid for. And so we come and we see that different kind of righteousness. Jesus clashes with the Pharisees simply because of this. They work so hard on the outward appearance while sin decays their heart. And Jesus emphasizes this in the rest of the sermon in the next part of the sermon that we will look at on the Sermon on the Mount. 
he will say and address six different things in the commands when he says you have heard it said but let me tell you and it's all the things that look at and say listen I'm okay because I've never murdered anybody I've never killed anybody I felt like it a couple of times but I never have he says and Jesus comes and says hey hold on it's a different standard of righteousness now you ever hated anybody in here you ever sat there I really don't like that person says you're standing talking to them and you're like I don't like you why am I talking to you <laughs> don't pretend you've not thought it either he says some of you are you already it's in the head now that person isn't it and Jesus is dealing with that issue he's saying that issue he says oh well done you haven't murdered anybody well that's good that, that's fantastic he says actually you're hating your heart if you dislike somebody he said that's a standard they're coming to it's only a standard that can be reached with the power of Christ in our lives and so Jesus does this and he emphasizes this in the rest of the sermon because he wants to teach the people that actually it's more important about what's in a person's heart than how people perceive them than how people look at them and say oh I want to be like them if, if they if they were perfect we like saying this I mean it would be an awful thing to say this and if, if you've ever thought this you need to cast it out in the name of Jesus because it'd be like you're turning around and saying I'd like to be like Pastor Matt I mean you need to cast that out you know I'm serious because some people look at it and say uh, because the Christian church is full of uh, this today whereby people look at the person at the front oh if only I could live like them if only I could be like them hey there was only one person we're supposed to be like his name is Jesus Christ I mean if anybody looks I'm only using me as an example you know you, some of you look at and think I never want to be like you but that's okay no problem <laughs> I, I have no issue with that I don't want to be like you either so there you go <laughs> so that's the issue so it's pointing not towards the people who are keeping the law it's pointing to Jesus Christ and you see Jesus emphasizes this in the rest of his sermon because he's teaching them a message that God values true purity motivated by true love more than technical rule keeping motivated by spiritual pride and how often do we fall into that trap sometimes or how do people see me what happens if people see me somewhere and they judge me you know and we're more concerned sometimes and listen let me tell you pastors and Christian leaders are the worst of it because we think oh I've got to be example and you are absolutely right we have to be the example but we get bogged down sometimes with a spiritual pride because we're more concerned with keeping the rules the technical rules that go along with everything rather than having that true purity motivated by true love that comes from our heart so the true righteousness that is something better than this rotten version paraded by these religious hypocrites see the other point being made which upcoming teaching that Jesus gives us support is that actually nobody can be truly perfect righteous no person can live a life moral purity worthy of heaven even if I did everything right in my life even if I was the perfect example of goodness even if I was a person everybody looked at and said what a glowing example it's like he shines even if that was me it still wouldn't be enough I mean imagine that it's not because Jesus comes he's preparing his listeners to understand that he has a righteousness that only he can give them you see this next point I thought is really important 
as we've come. It says to be justified means more than to be declared not guilty. It actually means to be declared, to be declared righteous before God. It means God has imputed or charged the guilt of our sin to his son, Jesus Christ, and has imputed or credited Christ's righteousness to us. A week won't challenge me because often at times all I'm interested in actually is just being not guilty. If that's enough, that'll be enough, just to be declared not guilty. Uh, and actually the righteousness that talks about here is the exchange happens. I'm not only declared not guilty because of what Christ has done, I'm declared righteous before God because everything Jesus has done. So it's not like I get saved and suddenly I get that not guilty verdict on me. And then suddenly I've got to work hard for it, I've got to strive because now I'm a Christian, now I'm a believer. No, 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 no. That's not happening. This is what's happening. We're declared not guilty. But then we're also declared righteous before God. He says, how could we ever be righteous before God? Not by anything we do, but simply because of Jesus Christ and what he's done for each and every one of us. We understand it this way because Paul understood it when he wrote to the church in Philippi. He just, in these three verses, he writes to the church in Philippians chapter 3, verse 6 to 9. He says, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. This is the key, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. There's the exchange. It's exchange for the Apostle Paul writing the letter to the church in Philippi. It's exchange for you and me. He said, and here's a man, he simply declared in his pride almost, that he said, as for righteousness based on the law, Paul declares, I was faultless. And even he says, that's not enough. It's just not enough. He comes and then says, not having a righteousness of my own. After realising the law doesn't meet the need of righteousness that I have to have. He says, I get it through faith in Christ. And it moves us on to something else. And this is the best description of it, really, he says. Because Romans 3, verse 23 said, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it gives us that challenge and says, Remember at school, I used to do athletics when I was much younger. Now I did, I'm much fitter. No, I did. I know. No, shot put. <laughs> Who said shot put? Eh? <laughs> anyway, did the long jump. And you know what it's like. And I'm not going to demonstrate it because I'd be scared of injuring myself. But you know what it's like because you run down and then you hit the board. I was not going to do it off here because I'm not. <laughs> Get ready now, I'm coming. All right? I hit the board here and then I jump as far as I can. And say if I jump to here, it's like, I'm the winner, because I'm the only one that's jumped so far. Now, I was going to pick on these two, but that would be cruel, because I know I can jump further than them, okay? So but imagine if I got Picky up here and said, Picky, you, you try it now, you jump. And Picky jumps off and he wants to beat me, so he lands here. And then we think, well, he's beaten me, that's great, that's brilliant. So now we get Mike, no, not get Michael, anyway, we get, uh, we get Michael out. And then we say to Michael, do you think you could beat us two young fellas? And Michael, of course, takes up that challenge. 
And he beats both me and Picky. Sorry, mate, he does. He beats me. <laughs> and he lands here. So there's Michael, and there's Picky, and there's me. But listen, it doesn't make any difference whatsoever if the line that the three of us have to jump past is here. And not matter that he beats me, who cares? He would beat me anyway. But any, uh, <laughs> it wouldn't matter. And that's the example that Paul writes in the Romans. says, all have fallen short. And yet, how often do we live our Christian life simply trying to be better? Uh, he wants to be better than me, and I want to be better than him. And he wants to be better. And that's what we do as Christians. And actually, the declaration, he says, everybody falls short. Who cares? You can jump further than anybody else. Who, fair, who cares if you have a bit more goodness in your lives than everybody else? So that's a description that Paul is using when he's coming and he's saying you all have fallen short of the glory of God. He says, see, the law stands simply as a perfect expression of God's ethical requirements and character. But it does nothing, nothing to save people. Nothing. And it's what Jesus is saying here. It no matter how righteous you can be, no matter how much you can do in your right living and your right behaviour, it won't make any difference. You may jump farther than somebody else. And how often do we look at somebody who's fallen by the wayside, having challenges in their life, and our prayer is simply, thank God I'm not like them. How often do we pray that? I pray that, I say that, thank God. Not realising that that could have been me. Not realising that's a stuff in my life that if God hadn't dealt with, he says, that could have been me, because we all have fallen short. We haven't got past the line, and the line's down there. But Jesus comes along, he does the jump, and he jumps past the line. And he jumps past the line, and he looks back at the three of us, at Michael and Picky and me, and says, listen, I've gone past the line, I've achieved what needed to be achieved. He says, you all fall short, but I'm Jesus, and I didn't fall short. And he says it enables us to be sitting here this morning in church, saved, knowing that we are made righteous before God, not because of anything that I have done right in my life, but simply like Paul writes here, I have a faith in Christ that gives me the righteousness that I need. It's not got to be worth an amen somewhere, isn't it? Amen. That's good, brilliant. Where was I? What time is it? All that talk of athletics has tired me out. Like, here we go. <laughs> it is a greater righteousness that was accomplished through Christ and by Christ. Our flesh will never produce the righteousness we need to meet God's standards. Only Christ can do that. He lived in perfect obedience to the law. He died as a sacrifice for sinners and rose from the dead so that all who believe in him can be granted his righteousness. Paul writes it elsewhere when he says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I mean, the law would be a fair way, to be honest with you. I mean, imagine if we just picked up points along the way in our life for keeping parts of the law. You know, five points for doing this, and, uh, you know, maybe the thing if you, if you, you know, all, all the things that you do in your life, you've got points for. And at the end of your life, God looked at your points and says, yes, you've got enough points, you're in. Or you don't have enough points, you're going that way. And we will look at it and say, I think that's a fair way of doing it, isn't it? I mean, that would compare it, it, uh, it to each other. We would be competing with each other. I mean, just before you're about to lose your temper, 
you know, suddenly the thought would drop in, I'm going to lose five points for this. You know, so you don't lose it. And if you don't lose your temper, you gain five points. You know, and you look at it and think to yourself, well, that's a fair way of doing it. But Christ comes with the fairest way of doing it. He just says we're all equal. That actually, the only way we could be made righteous is before him and by him because of the cross. And Paul understands this. He, he said, well, look, he says, if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. There would have been no point to the cross. It would have been an absolute waste. Uh, I mean, it really would have just been a waste of God giving his son for you and for me if the law was sort of, well, you can either do it through the law or through the cross. You choose. You want to earn the points, go through the law. If you feel as though the points are going to go against you, do it through the cross. Uh, and, and God just comes and wipes the whole thing away. And this is Jesus fulfilling it, not abolishing it. By saying this is the fairest way of doing it, it's my son at the cross. It's my son on the cross. It says, whose sin did he take on the cross? Well, he took everybody's. It says everybody who was a lawbreaker, everybody who broke the commands, everybody who did the stuff that you never want to mention, everything. I mean, they use this description, your, your life and the things you've done wrong is written in ink upon these walls. Imagine each of us would fill a wall easily. I mean, we would fill a wall of all the things. But Jesus took that on the cross. And I mean, we say we're fair, we do the points. No fairness in it. That's why Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God. The picture, the demonstration of the grace of God is best displayed in the cross of his son, Jesus Christ. Unmerited, unearned, undeserved, without working for, not matter how far I jump ahead of everybody else, it's fair because it comes to the cross. See, we receive that righteousness that is produced by Christ. You see, Jesus starts down this road at the beginning of this passage in Matthew 5 when he begins to talk about the different aspects of the law. You see, the Pharisees' righteousness was external. It was from a heart of the flesh. That's who we've been given the Spirit of God to live in a way for him that he's called us to. It surpasses Pharisee's righteousness. One of my favourite authors, John Stott, he describes it like this. He says, Christian righteousness far surpasses Pharisaic righteousness in kind rather than in degree. Christian righteousness is greater than Pharisaic righteousness because it's deeper being a righteousness of the heart. The righteousness which is pleasing to God is an inward righteousness of mind and motive for the Lord looks at the heart. Not only are we made righteous before him and by him, it does something to change us. It does something. It questions our mind. It questions our motive. It questions our purpose. It questions our obedience. It literally questions everything. It surpasses that of the Pharisee, not because of anything we can do, but because of what Christ has done. He saved us and then put his spirit in us. And it's that that changes us. I'm glad this morning. I thought to myself, when I was preparing this, I thought to myself, you know one thing I'm glad of is this, is I'm not the same person I was. Uh, you know, I, I, could list, I could list achievement to you and say, oh, I've done this and I've done that. But you know the most important thing and what Christ has done above all else? I'm not the person I was. He has changed me. 
He says, you know, and he has changed you. And he can change you. That's the power of the gospel. It's the power of the cross. He says, we have moved away from the people we once were to become the people that God has created us to be. He says, that's the best news of all, isn't it? So I can't list my achievements, and I don't have many, but if I went down and listed them and said, oh, Matt Davis, this, this, and that, none of that is important compared to the life change that he has made in my life and in your life. And for that, I believe this is what Christ is talking about here as he sits on this mountainside to these people who have been carrying the burden of the law the burden of what the Pharisees have put on them. That there is a time that is coming that Jesus is going to set them free. That Jesus is coming not only with a message but a display of his love for them that's going to change the whole world. Let us pray. Father God we thank you this morning. Father in the words that we've tried to throw out here Father God. The greatest thing that has happened to each and every one of us, Father, is how you have changed us. The Father, we are saved and forgiven, and that change today makes us not the people we once were, not because we've tried harder, not because we've put a lot of effort in, not because we've tried to do things ourselves, but it's your power working in our lives to change us. And we thank you for that today. I thank you that I am not made righteous by anything that I have done because I would have failed in the first minute. I thank you for the righteousness that is given by your son Jesus Christ who paid the price for me. I thank you, Father, that I can live a life now. The Father, my motive, my mind, my desire, my concern, my ambition, everything that is in front of me is motivated by what you have done for me. And I just come to you today, Lord, and say thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen. How great the chasm that lay between us, and how high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into. Such bondage.
Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen.